story is told of a man who was driving just outside of Memphis, and he was out in the country. He saw two young boys, and they were being attacked by some wild dogs. And so he pulled over quickly and jumped out of the car, and he separated the dogs from the boys, and he actually ended up killing the dogs in the process. And there was a newspaper editor who was driving by and saw everything and was able to get out of the car right at the very end. He rushes up and he, he praises the man for being a hero, for saving the life of the young boys. And he said, tomorrow in my paper, the headline is going to read, Memphis Man Saves Young Boys. The man said, well, uh, that's great, but I'm not from Memphis. And the editor said, that's all right. It'll say, Tennessee Man saves young boys from wild dogs. And the guy says, well, to be honest with you, I'm not from Tennessee. I'm from, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm just driving through. So the next day, the headline read, Yankee kills family pets. <laughs> you know, we all have experienced prejudice and discrimination in all types of our walk of life. And it's naive for us to think that the church is immune to to this inequity. And so here's what we're going to do uh, this morning. We're going to look at what James has to say about a deficit in our faith. And now you should not be surprised that James is not going to pull any punches as he speaks clearly about how our faith should impact how we treat other people. So two guys are strangers. They arrive at church at the same time. You know they're strangers because they don't know where to sit. They don't know exactly where to go and, and what to do. The first guy walks in, he's dripping with wealth. His Hummer with 450 camels under the hood is parked right out in front of the door. And he walks in wearing his Armani robe. The college ring is on his finger and he's smiling like a politician seeking re-election. And all the people take notice. The Bible class teachers fall all over themselves to make introductions. The missions committee just happens to have information about a wonderful remote location in the far reaches of Asia Minor. And the elders, well, they start looking around saying, you know what, we can put an education wing right over here and add it to our meeting hall. The preacher quickly looks over his notes and begins to, to mark out any mention of serving two masters. And while the usher shows the visitor to the seat in the very front row, mothers throughout the congregation are wondering and praying and that perhaps he might have a teenage son. Here comes this man wearing his jewel-encrusted toga. And the first century church of the Christ is buzzing. And then comes in guy number two. And he's poverty-stricken. He is destitute and shabby. He is, he's hot and sweaty from his walk to the building. His Levi's have holes and he doesn't have his sandals on. And believe me, people have noticed him too. The Bible class teachers are wondering who he is and where he came from. Probably Samaria. I mean, he looks like a Samaritan would. The special events committee hopes that he doesn't sit too close to anyone at the potluck dinner. The elders have been asked to consider reminding the stranger that God has standards. And the preacher makes a mental note to speak on the dangers of a sinful lifestyle. And while that man is abandoned over in the far, far corner, the mothers are hoping that he doesn't have a litter of children by two or three women and here comes this poor, ragged man in the first century Church of the Christ is buzzing. All the while, the words of James quietly echo through the room, and yet no one appears to be listening. Brothers and sisters, 
believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, the New English Bible calls it snobbery. Now, a snob is someone who turns up their nose when they turn down their eyes on someone else. Always thinking that they're better than someone. Always thinking that there is someone else who is much worse off than them. Uh, the Greek word is a compound word that means to receive and to face. It literally means to receive somebody's face. It means to receive someone at face value and to go and then make superficial judgment, all based on how a person looks. And James says, never treat anyone in a different way according to their outward appearance. Do not give one person or one family or one group preferential treatment at the expense of another. But man, it's so difficult. And it seems to be a common social disease. Have you ever noticed how often we discriminate and, and play favorites based on appearance? I mean, we judge people by how they dress and, and how they look, the color of their hair, the number of their tattoos. We get caught up in this dress-to-impress mentality. Dress for power. Dress for success. Dress to look cool. We even have individuals that dress to look spiritual. We're so concerned about the outward appearance. And how about ancestry? People are judged according to their race, their nationality, their ethnic background. You know, it wasn't too many years ago that many thought it normal to have separate bathrooms and drinking fountains, restaurants, and even churches in order to separate individuals of different ancestry. And while this archaic way of thinking might be in the past, the bigotry of Jim Crow still shows itself. What about playing favorites based on age? You're too young or you're too old? The young want to be taken seriously. The old want to be able to show, you know what? I still got something in the tank. I can give. And each look at the other with suspicion. And have you achieved something lately? Our society gushes over winners and forgets the losers. Success and status are all key words. And you know, I, I'm bothered by the increasing celebrity consciousness, even in Christianity. I mean, we have our superstars. We have our own superstars of Christianity. And I think too many of our church members follow more after authors and preachers than they do actually after the Son of God. And how about affluence? It's what James is going to speak to in his second chapter of his letter. Yeah, I think it's one of the most common distinctions. We judge people by their wealth, whether they are rich or poor. We focus on the cars that individual drives and, and the neighborhoods where people live, the school where, where people attend. And, and if all these different things are enough, we even separate and segregate people based on their spirituality. People are categorized based on their denominational tribe, their beliefs on various theological issues, the Christian college that they did or did not attend, the way in which they worship, the way they serve, the way that they pray. Step out of the orthodox way of thinking. Voice a differing view over some long-held tradition and just watch the response that you get from others. And how about sin? Have you noticed that there are some sins that Christians allow more than others? I mean, we frown on sins of the flesh, but we tolerate gossip and divisiveness 
and greed. We receive on face value, don't we? And then what about a person's sex? Are, are there certain jobs and roles or positions of influence and leadership that, that you feel are meant exclusively for a man or a woman? When you hear stay at home, do you think mom or dad? When you hear working, do you think mom or dad? You see, some are just predisposed to believing that the glass ceiling cannot and, and should not be broken. So James is going to talk about this issue of, of favoritism and, and how Christians receive others and the way in which they interact. And his whole point is going to be, look, your faith should impact the way in which you treat other people. And so he gives the following example. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive jewelry, and then another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, well, you go stand over here or else you come and sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, James is going to point out three different problems with favoritism. And the first one is just going to be that favoritism is unchristian. Un if you want to be like Jesus, James says you cannot play favorites. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Faith and favoritism are incompatible. And, and what's really interesting is that the word favoritism, it is used other times in your New Testament. And yet every other time it's used, it is used to reference the fact that God does not play favorites. God loves everyone. And Jesus treats everyone with dignity. And there is discrimination everywhere in this world. But, but there should be one place. There should be one place where you are welcome, no matter what your background, no matter what your name is, and that place is among the people of God. Favoritism is unchristian. It's also unreasonable, he says in verses 5 through 7. James says it's just, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. He says those who are monetarily poor can still be rich in the things that matter. He goes on to say that, look, the rich could care less about you. Why do you worry about catering to them? Because they're the ones that's exploiting you. It was in New Testament times that the Roman nobility, well, they were the ones that were feeding the Christians to the lions, it was the upper crust who were persecuting the Christians and judging the Christians and insulting the Christians. And James says, why do you want to impress those guys and gals? They're certainly not worried about impressing you. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Don't show favoritism. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. But he gives his primary reason in verse 8. He says that favoritism is unloving. And that's why you shouldn't do it. He writes, if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. The Apostle Paul told a group of Christians in Galatians that the law of God could be summed up in one sentence. One sentence to, to summarize how God wants people to treat one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if I play favorites, if I decide that I only want in my sphere of influence one type of individual, one type of person, one type of, of background, one type of language, one type of, of color, one, one type of mindset. 
The scripture says I am being unloving. And, and I'm, also, I'm also showing that I really don't understand what it means to love God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? It is unchristian, it's unreasonable, and it is unloving to show favoritism. To be a snob. It's not what is intended and expected, and it's not something that should be seen among the family of God. And so how do we learn how to treat one another better? Well, let me give you a few different ideas here. And I want you to listen, listen closely to what I say. And listen closely to what Scripture has to say. You, you want to do better when it comes to loving others? Then begin cultivating a heart that is able to accept everyone. Have you ever been in a church of spiritual snobs? All of a sudden, we're turning the mirror back in ourselves, aren't we? Do you know why, why people have such a hard time accepting others? And I've, I've seen this through the years, because at different times where I will teach on this subject, oftentimes I will get pushback from members of the Christian community who will say, whoa, whoa, this idea of accepting everyone... You see, we confuse acceptance with approval. And some church people are so afraid of being seen as approving of something that is not socially or scripturally acceptable. But understand, you can accept someone without approving of their choices or their lifestyle. They may be doing something that is totally contrary to the word of God, but you can accept them as a person of great value to God without approving of any sin they may or may not even be involved in. Because after all, isn't that how God treated you? Didn't God say, I accept you in the midst of whatever sinful choice that you were involved in? It's why, it's why Paul would write to the Romans and say, look, you accept one another just as Christ accepted you. At your job or school, there are individuals whose beliefs and actions you do not agree with or condone. Can you come to see them as a unique creation of God with a, with a soul of, of infinite worth and, and value? Can, can we stop judging them against our own life and our own morality and begin seeing them and ourselves as individuals who are daily in need of God's mercy and grace? It, it has amazed me through the years to, to see how that we can, we can accept and we can befriend individuals, whether we work at Unum or Burger King or all the places in between, and yet for some reason, those same relationships we have out there, quote, in the world, we will ignore the same individual if they walk into our church house. And Scripture says, brothers and sisters, you cannot play favorites. You see, at East Brainerd, we're trying to cultivate an attitude of acceptance. We, we keep trying to remind ourselves that we are a hospital for for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And the fact is, if you're not, or if you're perfect, you don't belong here. Because the church is for people who don't have it all together. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where you are now and the way in which you are approaching God. Because God accepts you where you are. But understand, he doesn't expect you to stay that way. 
He wants you to be more and more like Jesus. God says, I accept you where you are. But I expect there to be change that takes place in your life. The more you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and the closer that you get to my son. You see, members of our church family struggle with issues related to addiction and sexuality and greed and gossip and, and everywhere in between. We have members here who drive clunkers and members who drive hummers. We have individuals who cut their teeth on Church of Christ pews. We have individuals who were baptized at Baptist revivals. We have friends and family here who are still searching, who are still trying to figure out who, who they are and, and who Jesus is and what it means to follow him on a daily basis. In the essentials, we are striving to have unity. Jesus is Lord. The Bible is God's word. And salvation is by grace through faith. In the non-essentials, we attempt to give liberty. And in all things, we want to have love. But acceptance is the key. And a child of God should never worry about being a man or woman of acceptance. Because it's what you've called, been called to be. Here's another idea. Can we appreciate everyone? This goes a little bit further than acceptance. We're told in Scripture, do nothing from, so, from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Appreciate everyone. Find something that you can like, not just accept, and then go tell them so. Now look, for some of you, you're going to have to get creative. I'm going to have to get creative. We might have to look, at it, look a while. Maybe you need to value individuals just for their uniqueness. It's kind of like Baskin-Robbins and the 31 flavors. What if we were all vanilla? Just think about how boring a community of God we would be. We need to be able to celebrate the uniqueness and the giftedness of every individual child of God. And in doing so, we have the opportunity to affirm everyone. Where we give everyone a lift whenever we can. Paul told followers in Thessalonica, encourage one another and build each other up. When another individual stumbles, we don't criticize, we empathize. We're an encourager. We're not a complainer. We're, we're not a condemner. We're not a critical person. You see, every one of us contributes to the atmosphere of our church family, either negatively or positively. And think about this. Would a person come back to be a part of this church community just because of you? If they knew no one else, but they just knew you, would they want to be a part and step closer to God? Are you a greeter? Are you a smiler? Are you a hugger? Are you an acceptor? Are you someone who appreciates? Are you someone who affirms? You see, I believe together we need to recommit to the expectation that this church will receive people unconditionally. That we will not expect people to act like believers until they actually are believers. We will not classify sins, but we will restore sinners. Black, white, brown, and, and biracial are welcome. Rich or poor, your bank account does not matter here. Single, married, divorced, widowed, each can find a place. Public school, home school, or private school can support each other where we recommit that we will focus on a person's heart and not on their appearance. 
Love draws outside people in. And I want desperately our church to continue to have a reputation for love. But for that reputation to be genuine, we cannot play favorites. We cannot play favorites in our lives. And, and I cannot underscore enough the importance of this. And, and it's not just that... Um, it's not just that I particularly think it's an important issue. It's the fact that, that James doesn't spare our feelings when he writes in verse 9, if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. He says we're all guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. You remember those stores you would go in and it would have a sign up that would say, you break it, you buy it? It's the store that you never wanted to take your kids in in Gatlinburg because you knew that when you left, you were going to leave with something, not necessarily in one piece, but you were going to leave with something because you were going to break it. They were going to break it. How many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? And the answer is just one. And James says, look, people think favoritism is such a, a small sin. It really doesn't matter. But he says, look, if you're breaking God's rule, then you're breaking God's rule. And it's serious business. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but you do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. You say, hey, I don't drink, smoke, curse, or chew. I don't hang around with girls that do. What does it matter if I'm partial to others? What does it matter if I play favorites? What does it matter if I only like one color or one language? Or what does it matter if I choose people from a certain background? And God says, it matters because it is so unlike me. God says, I don't play favorites. And if you do, if you do not treat people equally, then you invalidate all other attempts at following God's standards. That's how important, James says, it is in the way in which we treat other people. That doesn't matter the Bible classes. It doesn't matter your service projects. It, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing on behalf of God. If you are not treating people equally, then none of the rest matters, he says. Man, talk about straight talk from James, right? Now look how he closes his thoughts. And, and, and to me, this... As I was reading through it this week, this is where something jumped out that I was like, now, I've never, I've never thought about this before. He closes his thoughts by saying, look, we need to speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. He says, hey, don't forget the way that God is going to look at you when you walk into his presence. He's not going to receive you at face value. He's not going to check your bank account and and he's not going to ask your language, and he's not going to ask you to a list of all your sins. He's just going to ask if you know his son. And James says, look, for judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Now here James dips his pen into the well of Jewish theology, and he uses a word mercy that over 170 times in the Hebrew Scriptures, your Old Testament, it was used to... It was used to express God's loving kindness toward his covenant people. Now remember, the original recipients of this letter, they were Jews who had accepted Jesus as being God's Messiah. And they understood the concept of covenant mercy. 
The idea that God promised compassion and loyalty to his people. So James is asking, do you want God to treat you as he has promised? Do you want God to treat you with the compassion and mercy that he has promised to his people? Or do you want God to treat you like you're treating one another? Which do you want? And then he drops the mic by using what I believe to be a play on words where he says, mercy triumphs, and he uses a word that literally means to look down upon. Mercy looks down upon judgment. Now James has been writing about how we should not look down on others and how we don't need to play favorites and we shouldn't receive people just based on face value. There shouldn't be no superficial judgments. But now I think, I, I picture him with a smile on his face as he basically writes, mercy's a snob. He says mercy's a snob because mercy looks down on judgment. And so here's his whole point as he wraps it up. He says, look, if you've got to be a snob, then by all means, be a mercy snob. And you offer compassion and love to others instead of judgment. You want to make a difference in this world? You want to stand out? Then accept, appreciate, and affirm everyone. Be a mercy snob. And welcome others the way God has promised to welcome you. Now, over the past couple of weeks, I've asked people to come up into our living room and, and to sit down and, and, and have a conversation. I'm not going to do that this week. I wanted to leave this area empty because I wanted you to be able to sit here and just to visualize and think about the people that you Welcome into your living room. I want you to be able to think about the people that you bring into your circle. I want you to be able to think about how you view those who don't have what you have or who have more than you have. I want you to think about the way in which you, you interact with, with people who have made totally different choices than you've made. I want you to think about how you relate to people from different races and ancestry. You see, if you're a guest here, if you're watching us online for the first time, I want you to feel as welcome as a charter member of this church. And, and I don't want it to matter your choice of clothing or your economic status. And, and for our church, I don't want it to matter what color or what race you are. And I don't want it to matter what sins you have committed in the past or are currently committing. I want you to feel welcome in our midst where you'll be accepted, where you'll be affirmed, where you'll be appreciated. Oh, you'll be challenged. But you'll be reminded that we are all equal in God's eyes and that we are all in need of God's mercy 
and healing because we are all in need for God to make a difference in us. But here's the thing. This message, again, is not so much what happens here on our campus. We have a hard time getting to our campus in the midst of pandemic. This message is more what's going on right here in your living room. It's more about what takes place in your car. It's what happens in your office building. It's what's going on in your classroom. You see, the people of God are more than just what happens right here on a Sunday. We take the encouragement and we take the worship that we enjoy here each week and we go out and, and, and we live and we rub shoulders with and we interact from people who are from all kinds of different walks of life and from all kinds of different backgrounds. And folks, there's discrimination and there's inequality everywhere. But the one place that the people of this world should be able to find welcome is in the eyes of a child of God. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Will you join me in prayer? Father, this is a hard message. And it's a hard message because we all have our comfort zones. And we all have areas in life where we just, things just feel right. And, and we enjoy being around certain types of people from certain backgrounds and people who have certain ideas and thought processes. And, and God, what we end up doing, we, we, we draw circles and Sometimes without even thinking, and, but oftentimes given much thought. We have these circles and we just begin to exclude and we decide who can be in and who can be out. Father, thank you so much for not treating us that way. I'm thankful that when you looked at your creation, you saw the, you saw the sinfulness that was present that you didn't pull away from us. Instead, you, you expanded your circle so that we might be able to have relationship with you. And you called us to be different. You called us to change. You, you called us to be transformed. You said that you didn't want to, to leave us where we were, but that you wanted us to be more and more like what we were intended to be. God, use our relationships. Use the individual friendships that we have, the acquaintances that we have, Wherever it is that we might find ourselves this week, use those opportunities so that we might be able to move alongside someone else closer to you and be changed. Help us not to forget the grace and mercy that, that we receive from you. And allow us to extend that to others. Father, help us to be, help us to be a place that is looked at as accepting and appreciating and affirming. And, and Lord, I'm so grateful for the many different people from the many different walks of life that make up our church family. And we have some who are here this morning, others watching online, and others who are just spread out. But Father, we are, we are so different as a people. And yet you've accepted us all. But Father, I ask that in the days and weeks, months, the years to come, that, 
that that circle would continue to grow and that we would continue to be able to welcome more and more who desire to be close to you. Father, thank you for accepting us. Thank you for the grace that we find through Jesus. Father, forgive us for those times where our favoritism has shown through. May we be more and more like you in the days that are ahead. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. May that love show through. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue. Thank you. We're going to continue to consider this idea just in song for a moment. I know, Derek, I think you've chosen created me a clean heart. Is that right? And, and I've shared before how that when we have these messages, we, we used to offer an opportunity for people to come forward and to, we would have opportunities for prayer. And uh, with the pandemic the way that it is, that's just not something we're doing currently. And we've told you how that we do have an elder who is uh, in our prayer room, in our lobby, that if you'd like to have some socially distant opportunity to speak with someone, you're able to do that. We also want to make you aware of something that we are putting out today as a trial run. It, if the message today hits you and, and you would like just to have someone that praying for you, you're going to be able to text prayer to 423-455-5530. And you're welcome to take a picture of that with your phone if you want to right now so you can have that you can have that number. If you text prayer to this number, you'll immediately receive a response back that just lets you know that you have texted a message to the East Brainerd Church of Christ. And you'll be asked to submit your prayer request. We want you to know that that request will, will go and be seen by one of our elders this morning and that you'll receive then a response and be able to have a conversation there with our shepherd. Um, and then if you need to set up another time to meet, that opportunity will be available as well. It's something that you can keep with you. If you need to text a prayer during the week, you can. During the week, it will be monitored by members of our church staff. And again, you'll get a response back that will say, please enter your prayer. You will do so, and then someone will contact you through that um, text. Just trying to make it where that individuals can have the opportunity to express needs for prayer. Not only for those who are on our campus, but those who are watching online. We've got so many who are at home, and while we try to check in and we make phone calls, there are times when individuals just say, you know what, I would love to have, um, I'd love to have someone in our church family praying for me. I would love for the elders to know about something that's going on. And so this is something that we're going to um, try on a trial basis and kind of see how, how that works. But if you'd like to take advantage of that today, you are, you are welcome to do so. And again, we will have an elder in the back in our prayer room if there's someone that you'd like to talk to face-to-face. -to -face. As we close out our time together this morning, though, let's consider the, our heart, the way that we're treating others. Derek, why don't you lead us?